0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. And one of my listeners, Max Peters, um, sent me an email saying, I've just read the one-page marketing plan from Alan Deeb, and after reading dozens of marketing books, I can say it's easily one of the best ones out there. So I suggest you bring him to the show. And this is what I'm doing today. So I'm I'm really happy to have Alan Deeb on the show. He, like many people, many marketers believe that we should stop the shiny object syndrome. The fact that so many marketers are like, trying to chase after those the, the shiny objects and changing, uh, switching trends uh, every time. And he also believes that a lot of them are overwhelmed by a sea of possibilities, and they really don't know where to start their marketing. And most of the time, they fail doing marketing for this reason. And I believe the exact same thing. So very happy to have Alan Dib on the show. He's the author of the Amazon bestseller, the one page marketing plan. He also has a website called successwise.com. He's a serial entrepreneur, rebellious marketer and technology freak. He has started, grown and successfully exited multiple businesses in various industries. So as you can uh, see, we have an expert on the show today. So Alan, thank you so much.
1: Louis, pleasure to be on the show.
0: Right, let's get started. So your book is fascinating for two reasons. One, it's simple and I love simplicity and I believe that marketing should be simple and if it's not, then you're doing something wrong. But two, it's really practical, really actionable and I've already used some version of the template in helping out some people I know in marketing to give them a base so that they can start working on I've also sent the marketing plan to, um, to a few of the listeners uh, to get them started. So how did you come up with this idea? Like, uh, did you, did you develop over time or was it something that you just came up with after a week of work?
1: So, no it wasn't a week of work, so uh, I think, like many good things that happen, it comes out of necessity and uh, so they say necessity is the mother invention, and that was certainly the case with the the one page marketing plan so i uh, I run a, um, a international coaching and consulting practice and um, in the marketing field and one of the things that I always asked my clients to do very early on was create a marketing plan uh, because anyone who's in any field that uh where the results matter uh, and where the, where the stakes are high has a plan and and i give a example in in the book for example doctors follow a treatment plan Airline pilots f- follow a flight plan. Soldiers follow a military operations plan. So imagine you're getting on a plane and you, you overhear the two pilots um, speaking and they say, uh, oh, look, don't worry about the plan. Uh, I know how to get there. W- wouldn't you freak out and get off that plane? <laughs> or, or would yes. you say, oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll sit in the front seat and hope they get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so exactly the same thing comes to when it comes to small businesses, um, you you need to have a plan, right? Because uh, otherwise things just go to crap very, very quickly. And sometimes even when you do have a plan that happens, but generally to a lesser degree. So anyway, um, long story short, uh, I I wanted a lot of my clients to uh, put together a marketing plan and They struggled with this very much because uh, in their mind at least, uh, it was something that had to be very long, very complicated, very uh, expensive to do and very few of my clients ever did it. So that's that's where this came from. So uh, I created a process called the One Page Marketing Plan where literally in one page you can map out a very sophisticated direct response uh, marketing strategy for your business and I wanted it to be a living document. I didn't want it to happen to to what happened to my first business plan. My first business plan, I had a consultant came in, he helped me write hundreds of pages, had beautiful graphs and projections and financials and it went into the top drawer and um, never got seen again until I was cleaning out my office and threw it out. (laughs) So I wanted it to (laughs) to be something practical that could hang on the wall and refer to on a regular basis as a living document.
0: And it's insane when you think about it, that companies are still using business plans um, nowadays. I mean, some of them are useful because they're focusing on consumer strands and especially for big companies, but as a small business startup you usually don't need those so uh, thanks for this uh, this intro uh, and today's episode what i really want to do is try to go through this process together i hope that we'll have the time to go through the nine kind of uh, small steps in this plan uh, but before we start i like just to say that you are a fan of the approach the 80 20 rule and you even have a, a deeper rule which is the 64 4 rule which is for like this marketing plan is usually going to take you 4% of the effort, like that, you know, you usually do, but that's usually leading to 64% of the results. And this is so true because I've done it a few times. I've set up one page strategies in the past. And this gives you so much clarity. This gives you so much purpose that it gives you most of the results. And you will see yourself coming back to this document over and over and over again, printing it putting it on the plastic, putting it uh, next to your desk. I mean, this is a truly amazing uh, way to focus your attention because in this world, attention is, is very scarce. So how to come up with a marketing plan? Where do we start?
1: So where we start is, um, and that, that's that's actually a really, really good question because, um, and I know it, it sort of gels into one of the things that you explore very often. So I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and one of the things you explore is why marketers have such a bad reputation. And uh, it, it, very often it's because someone comes up with a product or service and they think, uh, They get it to market and they think, oh, crap, okay, I need to now add marketing, right? And then so they use... Uh, pushy, sleazy tactics to try and push a product that they think that the market wants. But in my view, good marketing happens before the product development stage, before you even uh, create a product or before you even think about creating a product. Because what we want to do as good ethical uh, marketers who deliver a lot of value is we want to tap into a demand. We don't want to have to artificially create demand. And and it's usually when you have to artificially create demand that you have to now re- resort to the sleazy sleazy tactics and pushy sales and all of that sort of thing. In my world, um, sales is something that should come very, very naturally after having a conversation with a human being. So you and I, we have a conversation and we we talk about what are your needs and what do I offer and then at the end of that conversation, it should be a very natural thing that happens is either, look, I don't think it's a really good fit for each other or Okay, looks like it's a really good fit. How do we progress it to the next step? And that, that's an ethical, easy, low-pressure way of doing business. And I love doing business that way.
0: Yep. I mean to that, I completely agree with you. And this is the point of, of good marketing. As you said, you shouldn't have to create uh, demand artificially. This is where you, you, you start doing sleazy stuff. So start with the customer, start with people in mind, and then your product will come uh, at a later stage. So the, the, let's maybe give an overview of this one-page marketing plan very briefly, and then we'll go through each uh, step.
1: Sure. I'll go through them briefly, and I'll, I'll give you highlights. I mean, we, we probably couldn't we don't have enough time to cover it in detail, otherwise we'll be here for three hours. I'm happy to be here for three hours, but um, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you and your audience prob- probably what, have other, other plans.
0: What we can do is we'll go through the nine steps like as, a, as a whole, as a summary, and I think to be honest with you, the most important are the top three. The market the yep. message and the media and i think we might yep. we might uh, talk about uh, other phases we have time but i think people will have a good understanding of what's going on already
1: perfect i love it so you're exactly right so and there's i've taken the marketing split up the marketing plan into three distinct phases and this is a an idea i shamelessly stole from dean jackson um, but it's the before the during and the after and then within those three uh stages there's three uh, inner stages so So basically, the the one-page marketing plan is a nine-step process, and it's a a single uh, page that's divided into nine squares, and you fill in uh, each of the nine squares. Now, the first square is... selecting your target market. And this is absolutely, absolutely critical because a lot of people think, you know what, let's service the maximum number of people that we can, so uh, I do everything for everyone, right? And, and <laughs> it, it's, it feels intuitive because it's you feel like, okay, you're catching the widest uh, net and you're, you're catching the widest number of people, but uh, as counterintuitive as it is, you want to choose a target market that is an inch wide, so not very wide, but very, very deep. So you've got an audience who has a a lot of interest, who has a a lot of depth to it. There's a lot of facets to what you do. And I'll give you an example. So for example, the beauty industry is a massive, massive industry, right? So, you know, there's hair, there's cosmetics, there's all sorts of things, right? So then if uh, if you take that down a little bit, you might get to for example the beauty part of of that right and then if you uh, niche that down again you might target for example just women and then if you niche that down again you might target for example cellulite treatment right so uh, and then you can even niche that down uh, further and say for example cellulite Treatment for, for women who've, who had a child, right? And even that tiny, tiny little sliver of a niche. Uh, I read an interesting quote the other day and it's by Howard, uh, Gassage and it says, uh, people don't read ads, they read what interests them and sometimes that's an ad. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so, um, uh, so, Crafting your message is where you want to get into the mind of your audience. You want to get into the, the thing that's worrying them at 3 a.m. when they're lying in bed thinking about this problem that you can solve. What are they thinking? You want to get into the conversation that's happening in their mind. So that's crafting your, your message. And then that leads us into number three is, probably the most expensive part of your marketing, and that's reaching your prospects with advertising media. So that's basically bridging your target market with your message, and that's the bridge the the media. So for example, uh, if you're using digital marketing, it could be Facebook ads or Google ads or whatever. If you're using offline media, it could be direct mail, it could be print advertising and so on. So they're probably the first three and you're absolutely right, I, believe, I also believe that they're the most critical because uh, for two reasons. First of all, they're often the most overlooked and they're the things that will make the biggest difference in crafting your product and your offer. So very often people try to do what I call uh, putting lipstick on a pig. So, you know, the, they, um, they, they have a, an offer that's kind of so, so or me too, or whatever. And then they think adding marketing, marketing to it is the thing that's going to make it work. And that's when you get into pushy, sleazy tactics.
0: Yep. Exactly. So that's, yeah, as we, we, we talked about this a lot on the show. Uh, we had Philip Morgan around positioning mentioning the exact same, uh, idea that your market should be very narrow, at least when you start, Seth Godin says the same thing. So when Alan Deep, Seth Godin, Philip Morgan, and plenty of other people says the same thing, this usually leads to thinking that perhaps this is something that you need to do at home, whether you're starting your business, whether you're a marketer in a larger business, whether you're planning on selling a product in the future. It is a tough exercise because you have to say no to a lot of things, but... Speaking a very narrow audience is the best way to to really solve their problems in a in a nice way. And, and it's, uh, all,
1: it's, all of, it's, it's all about having the person who's receiving your message say, hey, that's for me, right? Yes. Uh, you, you want someone who's reading your message to, uh, because otherwise if you've got a laundry list of services, if you say I do SEO, I do web development, I do this, I do that, I do Google ads, I do all sorts of other things, it, it, it kind of, it's just a laundry list and you become a generalist and people don't look at that and think, hey, that's for me.
0: Yeah, you don't want to become a generalist. Um, right, so that, those are the first three steps. Then um, the during phase, which is the lead phase, what are the three uh, steps in there?
1: So in the during phase, we want to do three things. We want to do capture leads. So for example, capture leads in an opt-in or a CRM, um, then the next thing we want to do is nurture those leads. So we want to, to have good follow up. And when I say good follow up, it's not pestering them. It's not being a pest. It's becoming a welcome guest. So someone who delivers value on a very regular basis. So, um, I think your podcast is a really good example of that, right? So when, when you, when you put this podcast out, you deliver a lot of value to the world. It's not about uh, pushing something uh, on someone that they don't want. So, when you do go ahead and one day make an offer, or or perhaps you currently do make offers to to your list, uh, someone's going to be much much more likely to say, you know what, um, Louis has given me so much value, I'm really open to to seeing what else he has uh, available. So and then and then the third part is. Sales conversion—that's when you take someone from just knowing about you to trusting you, and then spending their their first dollar with you or more. So, turning someone from a prospect to a customer.
0: So, before we go through uh, the next three steps briefly as a summary, what do you think of the of the term lead capture? And okay, that's a very leading question. So let me rephrase. <laughs> I actually don't like the term lead capture. It's like lead magnets. I find it to be very, yep. very um, impersonal. And that leads to me, to a lot of people thinking that those leads are just numbers on a spreadsheet that, you know, you need to capture to to grow yourself. So I'm just curious, your honest view on the term, did you use it because other people are using it or do you believe that this is the right definition?
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I used it because it is the most common definition and, and I like to use things that don't need a lot of explanation. So very often people will talk to me about, you know, what should I name my business or what should I name my podcast or what should I name my book and things like that. And you can do one of two things. You can kind of have clever kind of naming uh, and, uh, and maybe not so clear or you can have very, very clear naming and where the title equals the content. So for example, if you, if you think about my book, The One Page Marketing Plan, the title tells you exactly what it's all about. Right and uh, everybody, uh, everybody hates marketers. That tells you exactly what that's all about. So I don't like to have to uh, use uncommon terms that you have to explain, even if I don't love those terms. So I, I agree with you hundred percent that lead capture is probably not the best term, but it's probably the most common term and one that doesn't need the most explanation. So uh, I, 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 um, uh, I'm probably more in favour of, um, you know, delighting a customer. <laughs> but but yeah, that would be an awkward way of putting it in a book.
0: Yeah, th- this is a good point, and I think this is a good lesson in terms of, of marketing and, and customer behavior. Um, I'm not going to name the company because I respect them. I don't want to get uh, any bad publicity from them. But they, this is a, a SaaS, a software company that recently launched like new features, and they try to call those features, they try to come up with new names for each feature. And those features were not new, so they were in the marketplace for a long time. And people used to call them a different thing, right? And Mm. that led to big failure. Uh, The product adoption rates for those features were very low. That led to, uh, that led to them to change the names to the thing, to the words that were being used by the most amount of people, even though those, they weren't necessarily happy with those words. They had to use them because simply that's what people think about first when they describe such a feature. So I think it's a good example that sometimes you do have to, to make sure that you are in sync with your market and people yeah. and how they call stuff.
1: I always tell people to choose clarity over cleverness. You know, sometimes, you know, you want to use some clever name and it's kind of witty or something or funny or something like that, but it's not really clear. And I always say if you need to explain it, it's failed. So, you, you know, your your name or title of of your product, of your podcast, of your book, of anything should need no explanation.
0: Yeah, and that goes back to an episode that I've recorded with Momoko Price, who's a conversion copywriter, and we went through the how to come up with a good value proposition on your website in particular. And she made the same point. You know, you need to make it very clear, very very clear what you're doing. You don't have to be clever saying you know we're the number one leading provider in in a category that nobody has ever used before. Instead, you can say you know we do the best product in X that you know, last longer, etc. Et the more clear, The more clear you are, the, 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 the easier it will be for people to understand what you're doing and therefore to act uh, and maybe, you know, sign up to your newsletter or buy your product.
1: Yeah, and I mean, as marketers, we've got enough challenges to deal with uh, anyway without having to add our own challenges of trying to be uh, unclear.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. right. So those are the six first steps. What are the, the, the last three?
1: So the last three, uh, this is in the after phase. So this is someone's become become a paying client, and for a lot of people, this is where it ends, right? So this is where mar- marketing ends for a lot of people. You, you've got a paying client. What else do you need to do, right? So uh, we finish there, and we look for another client. No. So in the after phase, in the after phase is really where the real money is made, and a lot of people make make a big mistake of just ignoring this. So there's three parts to the after phase. There's uh, delivering a world class experience. Then there's increasing customer lifetime value. And the last one is orchestrating and stimulating referrals. So I'll go through uh, each of these very, very briefly. So delivering a world-class experience. This is all about creating a tribe of raving fans. And you've probably heard um, Seth Godin talk about this kind of thing. And there's, there's other marketers who talk about this, but it's about creating fans rather than clients. So we don't want to be transactional. We want to be someone who's respected and loved and, uh, you know, almost an inter- entertainer to our clients because people are seeking something different and people are seeking entertainment as well as good service. Uh, so it's, it's all about delivering a world class experience so that the, the client who's dealing with you uh, just says, wow, you know, so it's all about creating a wow experience for our clients. So then we move on to increasing customer lifetime value. And this is all about, uh, finding ways to increase the amount that that you can charge of a client. And when we say that, we don't say that in a way that we want to be scammy or take advantage of clients or anything. No, we do that by delivering much, much more value. So very often someone will uh, sell sell something to a client and that's it. The client never hears from them again. But the client's needs have not not ended right so very often a higher level of service uh, a more frequent level of service uh, is something that the client looks for for example um, you know if you take for example your internet service if you if you bought it a few years ago it satisfied your needs there. But now, since those few years have gone by, you've got now much more streaming applications, you're using online cloud and digital services and cloud services much more. So maybe someone who sold you your internet a few years ago, that was fit for purpose. But today, it's unfit for purpose. So unless someone's keeping in touch with you and increasing the lifetime value, upselling you to the next plan that has higher data limits or higher speed, uh, you're going to be underserviced and th- that's going to create an event in the client where the client thinks, you know, this internet, it's just become so slow. Um, I- I'm going to look for some alternatives, right? Because they, uh, you know, so you've created a churn event by not uh, being in touch with your client on a regular basis. So and that leads us into the the last part of the the after phase and that's orchestrating and stimulating referrals. And uh, I purposely titled that chapter orchestrating and stimulating. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people sit and hope for referrals. They hope that someone will send them a new lead, a new customer, a new prospect and sometimes out of chance that does happen. But if you orchestrate and stimulate referrals, that implies that there's a system in place. And the system is baked into your marketing where people expect that you you have to give them referrals or you have a, a very, very specific and targeted system for requesting those leads and referrals. So, So that's basically the last three parts of the one-page marketing plan, the after phase.
0: Right. So there we have it. Uh, so you can picture in your mind right now, you have a one pager, you have nine, uh, boxes and you have three boxes per row. And you are, you should be able to summarize your marketing plan in one page. And I strongly believe that if you're not able to summarize any plan or any strategy in less than a page, then it's not clear enough. It's not simple enough. And don't expect your team or your colleagues or your clients to understand it. Um, So this is why I love so much this this template. As you said, Alan, as well, and I really appreciate that uh, from you, you said in the book that you didn't come up with that on your own. You've been inspired by Seth Godin, by other people. It's not like something that is brand new, but you added a, a, a twist to it, you added your methods to it, your personality to it. And this is one of the reasons why uh, the simplicity, one of the reasons why your your book is a, an Amazon bestseller right now, and so many listeners have recommended it to me. Um So thanks for doing what you're doing. And uh, that's what I wanted to tell you. Right. Let's go back to the actions, uh, the 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 first three steps, and perhaps we can go through them together Um, so this is the before phase right the prospect phase so coming up with your markets your message and the media and how you're going to reach out to them so how do we go about that
1: so as we discussed earlier we want we want to find a target market that's in pain Um, so if you think about the last time that you had a really really bad headache, um, and you went to the chemist and you went you looked for pain relief, uh, did the chemist have to uh, sell you or, or you know cr- <laughs> convince you to buy the medication? Probably not. You probably you probably grabbed it and paid whatever was this on the sticker. You didn't it probably didn't even look at the price because you wanted pain relief. So. Uh, that's, that's where, where it all starts. So you want, you want to th- find a target market who are in pain and provide pain relief. It's as simple as that. And, um, and it kind of merges into the second step, which is crafting your message. And uh, there's really no substitute. Um, a lot of people ask, you know, where, where do you start? And it's really starting with an offer that converts. So a lot of people try to force an offer that's not interesting to people, that's not solving a big pain point, which is maybe either marginal or not solving a problem. Uh, so uh, uh, in Silicon Valley, I've heard the the phrase, it's a it's a solution in want of a market. <laughs> yes. So they've created a solution and now they're looking for the market, which is completely backwards. We, we want to find the market that's in pain. We want to find a gap that they have and create an offer that converts. So as, as an example, the book, I didn't just invent this kind of uh, strategy and create a book and hope that it worked. I knew absolutely with a 100% Certainty that the one page marketing plan was an offer that converted. Now, I I didn't know how successful the book was going to be. Uh, It definitely exceeded my expectations, but uh, I've been a keynote speaker at many events. I've offered uh, the one page marketing plan as a process, and I had very, very high conversion rates. So I knew for a fact that this was an offer that converts. And that's why, uh, well, that was part of why. Uh, I wrote the book, and I knew that it would get traction. I didn't know how much because I'm uh, a first-time author. I'd never, never written a book before, and so, uh, so yeah, there were there were definitely some unknowns. But I knew absolutely, without a doubt, that this was an offer that converts. So uh, that's something that I would put to your audience, and I would uh, get them to think: is you know, what's your offer that converts? What's something compelling that you can solve for your target market? And what is your target market for a start? So what's your target market and what's a pain point that you can solve for them? How can you be their pain relief?
0: Right. So I I very much like that, this explanation. Uh, But I'm going to challenge you to go deeper because I can listen to the voice of my listeners in my head already asking, okay, that's all good. But how do you actually come up with you know, this target market in the first place. And in this podcast, we talk a lot about customer research and talking to people. And you kind of imply that with the example of your book, because you've been in touch with clients, you've been in touch with people in conferences reaching out to you, and you kind of did guerrilla customer research. You kind of, you kind of, after over the years, you, you heard this pain coming back to you over and over and over again. And you had almost, you know, you were certain that this was a pain that had to be solved and you also were certain that the plan the solution you put together the pain relief was something that was working so how do you how would you advise people who don't have the chance necessarily to have years of experience behind them a lot of clients reaching out to them with with their problem how do you advise them to to pick a target market
1: so there's there's two ways to start so uh number one is uh if you've been one of your target market, so for example, let's say let's say uh, you've you've been in the past an IT guy. So for example, in the past I I, I was an IT guy, um, and if you've been an IT guy, um, a really good thing to do because you intimately know that target market, you know what they're worried about, you know what their challenges are, is to. Uh, to target that target market. So, so some a target market that you've been part of in the past. So that that's that's one way and that's a really really good way. So if I was just starting out, that's probably uh, one thing that I I would probably do. But sometimes we find opportunities that are not necessarily in a target market that we've been part of. So in that case, it's really just a matter of doing some educated guesses and but there you know it's not just just wild guessing we're doing some educated guessing and we're doing some research so so we want to do some market research so we want to see what are the books that these people are reading what are the forums that they're hanging around on so you might go onto their forums and you might start saying, okay, what questions are they asking? So Quora is a really good resource as well. You can go onto Quora and see what questions are lawyers asking or what questions are doctors asking uh, and what kind of questions are asking. Then you'd go through a process called um, PVP. So P stands for personal fulfillment, V is value to the marketplace, and P is profitability. So, so when I talk about per- personal fulfillment is – how much do you enjoy working with this target market? So, uh, the you know, are they people that are interested interesting to work with? Do you enjoy dealing with them or are they kind of just really a pain in the butt type of customer and they, you know, demanding and don't want to pay a lot and all of that sort of thing. The second one is V, so value to the marketplace. So, how much does how much does your market segment that you've chosen value your work? So, are they willing to pay a lot of money for for your work? Right. So, um, you know, and this, this can vary dramatically from market to market. And the last one is P, profitability. And this is an interesting one. Sometimes even when a target market is willing to pay a lot of money for your work, it's actually not very profitable work when you, when you look at it, right? It might be something that's very, very labor intensive, something that you have to spend a lot of time outsourcing or managing. So you want to look at those three factors. Is it, it, does it bring you personal fulfillment and joy to work with? Because if it's going to be an uphill battle, battle, building this business, if you hate dealing with this kind of client or you hate dealing with this type of person, the second thing, does it bring value to the marketplace? And the third thing is, is it profitable?
0: Right. So you come up with, um, with this, uh, and I, and I like it because you, you, talked about uh, mining Quora and all these kind of online sources to, um, to get the questions that people are asking in your, in the target audience that you're thinking of, of, of going after. Um, do you have a process to actually go through those, those online sources? Do you put them on Excel? What do you do with them?
1: look the, the 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 process really doesn't matter do, do do whatever process works for you but what i find is um you know if you want to use excel you want to use google docs it's not going to that's not something that's going to move the de- uh, needle but um there's a few things that you can do so you can survey your target market you do have to be careful about this though because um people lie <laughs> uh, so uh, pe- people will say oh yes that's a great idea or if you or sometimes you might ask friends or family you think um uh, you might say, hey, uh, I'm planning to start a business creating Leather Hats for Turtles and people don't want to hurt your feelings and they say, oh, that's a great idea. You, you should really do that. And Leather Hats for Turtles, yeah. it's fantastic. You should, I think you
0: should go about that. You should do this.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So people people want to be nice to you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. So, so a better thing to test uh, is test your offer on check writers, right? So rather than saying, "Is this something you might uh, be interested in?" is uh, is make an offer. Say say something. Um, would you like to buy this right (laughs) you know so uh, would you like to to write a check for this and then then that's when very often the truth will come out where they will say oh heck yes that's great Uh, that's exactly what I've been looking for or you might start to get in oh well you know not right now I've been a bit busy or whatever that sort of thing so and that's when you're that's I guess the acid test of an offer is whether someone will write a check for it
0: right how do you come up with a the message then once you have your target market, once you know roughly who they are, um, how do you come up with a message that will make people interested?
1: Sure. So uh, a, re- a really good way is to uh, is interview and speak with your target market. And I know as digital marketers, sometimes we want to just hide behind a computer or s- emails and things like that. But uh, i I found uh the, the best thing is very often just to get on the phone and very very often someone will reveal something over the phone that they generally wouldn't over an email or over a digital communication because that's usually very highly curated whereas over the phone um you'll get insights that you weren't expecting so someone might you might ask a question and someone might answer the question but reading between the lines you'll get some insights so it might be something that they mention in passing or something that they mention uh, adjacent to some of the questions you're asking but I found it's awesome when you can get your target market on on the phone speak to them about uh, what's happening in their industry what's happening in their lives what are some of the things that they're concerned about what are the things that they're lying awake at night worried about you know so You know, depending on your industry, that's going to be uh, a a number of things. I mean, right now, if I was in the um, taxi business, I'd be very, very concerned, right? So Mm -hmm. there'd be, there'd be things that that I would be worried about, even um, if you're in. Uh, certain other industries that are being disrupted like, you know, hotels and travel and things like that, uh, you'd have to be very, very concerned. It's kind of like uh, the disruption that the book industry, that the um, movie industry, that the audio and music industry uh, experienced years ago. So there are industries currently being disrupted. So you want to speak to the people and get get their words. So when you interview them, that's one of that's a very, very valuable thing. You don't want to just get their message. So sometimes someone will answer your question, but you want to capture their words. You want to phrase it the way that they would phrase it because basically you can grab that and put that straight in your copy because when, when someone in your target market reads the, the exact words that are in their mind, they're going to respond to a message in a much better way than you would if you were kind of trying to paraphrase it or coming up with some clunky thing that they didn't quite understand.
0: Yes. And we did talk about this, uh, before, didn't we? And this is the key. People, marketers, founders, they try to be too, too smart about the way, uh, you know, to explain their products or what this, their service does. And instead, if you just interview your customers and, and really trying to understand how they describe the product or the pain that they have in their own words, then it's much easier to come up with. Uh, I would recommend you to go and check three episodes of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, Customer Research 101. Jobs to be done, uh, the introduction, and the latest with uh, with uh, John Weep from Copyhackers around this exact framework: how to actually capture the thought of people and put it on paper. As uh, so, right, Alan. So we have the market, the message, and uh, now the last step of the of the before phase is the media, picking the media and how to reach out to them. How do you do this?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I'll preface this before by saying um, I know this podcast is targeted at digital marketers, but w- one of the things I'll, I'll push back about is using the phrase digital marketers. Because sometimes I find that uh, digital is a substitution for lazy. <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes people are lazy marketers, but they call themselves digital marketers. And, the, and he, here's the reason I, I say this, because – people uh, some people think that uh, digital means magic <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and where whereas digital is really just the media right so uh, i mean i'll i'll ask you louis in digital marketing do you need a uh, a powerful headline yes I, w- I would think the answer is yes do you need a compelling offer yes do you need very very good compelling copy oui do you need a call do you need a strong call to action oui so th- these are all things that are not specific to digital marketing these are specific to any kind of marketing whether whether you're uh, writing an ad in the yellow pages in the newspaper on Facebook on Google so just because something is digital it doesn't mean it it, it magically the um uh, the concepts of and the key parts of marketing simply just go away right so a lot of people think okay i'll just send an email blast to my list and there's not much thought put to the headline there's not much thought put put to the copy and it's because it feels like it's free but it's it's very 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 far away from free so that's one thing i would say is uh if you're a digital marketer and that's totally fine to say you know what i work in this type of media and i love working in digital and that and that's what it is but don't ever substitute uh, the word digital for lazy like learn the the key concepts of marketing learn how to write headlines learn how to write copy learn about a good calls to action learn about all of these things that have been in marketing for hundreds of years really and really digital is just you know the the newest media that we we're using for that
0: i'm glad you said um, that alan i'm sorry to cut you but this is important and i did change the positioning of the post of this podcast recently because of this and now i say that it's a marketing podcast because purely for, for two reasons one a lot of my listeners are not digital marketers they're marketers in general and two exactly for what you just said i guess you might restrict yourself as a digital marketer if you truly believe you are only a digital marketer from using mediums and like media that that might be outside of digital purely because you think this is not your realm but if your customers hang out in like conferences and like to receive direct mail then you you must be more than just a digital marketer you have to be a marketer uh, full stop and so i'm very glad you made this point
2: and, and, and i can tell you from personal experience that all the most sophisticated digital marketers—they actually use a lot of analog media. So uh, I've never heard anyone call themselves an analog marketer. But um, <laughs> and if you think—and if you think—who is the most tech-savvy company in the world, right? And probably Google would come to mind. Would that be correct, Louis?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
2: So um, guess what I got in the mail <laughs> the other day? Yeah. I, I got a direct mail from Google w- with it had a headline it had an offer it had a coupon it had a call to action so <laughs> this is the world's biggest direct mail marketing company is google <laughs> so if that's not a lesson for digital marketers then i don't know what is
0: yeah thanks for making this point right so how do you how do you understand where people hang out and and how to reach out to them where to reach out to them
2: so we want to reach out to them where, where they hang out exactly. So, so that that comes from the research phase in when you're selecting a target market and when you're crafting the, your message, you you want to understand where where do they hang out. So, for example, depending on who you're targeting. So, if I was targeting maybe older people, um, and these, these are of course generalities and as marketers we generally g- deal with generalities of course there's exceptions to every every rule but uh, if you are targeting a much older audience you might think about uh, more about print maybe about uh, local newspapers or national newspapers or whatever if you're targeting for example teenagers or, uh, or that so that sort of thing you might think about uh, Snapchat or or Instagram or something like that so uh, it's very much going to be driven by the target market and the other thing I'll say about media is it's the most expensive part of your marketing. So, you know, you're you're running ads, you're either in print or in direct mail or in Google or in Facebook. So th- this is the most expensive part. So one of the things that I often see is people try to cut corners and either learn it themselves or do it themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're a specialist in the field. Like if you're an AdWords marketing expert, then absolutely go for it, do it yourself. But if you're not, uh, you're going to waste a lot of money. You're going to waste a lot of time because there are so – because, I mean, it, even just choosing AdWords marketing, that's a field on its own. I mean, there are people who even carve that niche up. You know, there are some who specialize in retargeting and remarketing and all of that sort of thing. And there are others who specialize in writing the, the headlines and the copy and all of that sort of thing. So so what I would say is hire specialists when you're dealing with media. So. If you're writing a direct mail piece, write someone who specializes in postal direct mail. If you're uh, if you're running Google ads, hire a Google ad specialist or hire a Facebook ad specialist. So don't skimp on the expertise when it comes to your media spend.
0: And that goes back to the positioning, that the point that we made earlier on, right? So you would naturally recommend someone who specializes in one area because this is a sign that this person knows what she's doing. Um, and that ties back to what you should be doing in your own target market, in your own messaging. You should be narrow enough so that people say, well, he's or she's the expert in X, and you should reach out to her. Exactly.
2: Exactly. It's like, you know, if, you're, um, you know, if you've injured your knee, uh, do you want to go see the general doctor or do you want to see the knee specialist? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So exactly right.
0: Right. Okay. Um, I think we've done, we've gone through a good overview of, of this plan. Obviously, we didn't have uh, the, the time to go through every single step one by one. There are nine steps in total, but I think that the, the first three ones are really the, the ones that are the cornerstone to this plan. So you can visualize it once again. It's a one pager, nine boxes. And yes, you won't be able to write everything in there. This isn't about the details. It's more about the direction. Uh, the focus, the purpose, and being able to share this document to to your colleagues, to your clients, to your boss. And I've seen that firsthand. Uh, one of my friends used a version of these documents uh, not that long ago and, and she printed it out and she used it with our, her entire team and shared that with her entire team and now everybody's on board with their marketing. And this is truly a nice exercise. And the next, the last point I wanted to make about this, this plan in particular is in the book, you're mentioning a lot of uh, the fact that this is for usually, you know, small business. And you you mentioned that it's more like direct response marketing, which is like you invest and then you get response back. It's not like branding uh, of any kind. Uh, but I strongly think that this exercise would also work if you work for a larger business. Uh, even if you have, you know, thousands of people as colleagues doing this exercise simplifying your your strategy your plan in one page even if it's not necessarily the exact same structure than the one we went through is probably a good advice would you agree and once again this is a leading question alan Uh, but would you agree to this uh, statement
2: I fully agree. I, whether you're a one, one person company or a billion dollar company, direct response marketing will work for you. Um, the, the one thing that I find the, the nuance is uh, there's very different uh, agendas when it comes to large businesses and small businesses, right? So, and I write, I write this in the book. So large companies often have, you know, a management team, there's board of directors. So when they do marketing, Making a profit, it's there in the list of priorities, but you know above it are things like pleasing the board of directors, making sure that the shareholders are happy, satisfying biases of your superior and things like that, and making sure that your existing clients' preconceptions are satisfied, then you want to win some creative ad- or advertising awards, and then somewhere down the bottom there is making a profit, right? Whereas for a small business, the only priority is <laughs> making a profit. So it's not whether direct response marketing will work for a big client or or a small one. It absolutely will work for both. But in large companies, you've got to deal with um, a lot of decision-making – uh, red tape. Very often, you've got to deal with a lot of people who've got preconceptions and biases and things like that. And that's when um, you know that the marketing kind of gets muddled, right? That's when. So if you if you were to walk in and say, "Hey, let's do this and let's do that." in a large company very often oh no we've got to clear it with the CEO and the CFO and then we've got to talk to legal and we've got to make sure that you know the board is happy with it and all of this sort of stuff and you know the CEO's wife she wants to be in the ad as well and you know so there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of politics in larger businesses
0: Right so uh- you sold a lot of books uh on amazon you you mentioned right and that exceeded your expectations um how much yes. did you make with this with this book sale
2: well i i do, I do six figures annually from from this one book from
0: from book royalties
2: so um yeah
0: pretty but, good investment right so it, it goes it does, back to it the 64 4% rule no
2: it does indeed indeed and uh, it, it's interesting that um uh, you know, the, the packaging makes a lot of difference. So if this book, if I release this book in a series of blog posts, um, you know, sure it might've gotten some traction, might've got some link backs and things like that. But because it's in the book, because it's in a structured form, it makes a massive, massive difference. And, and that's, a, that's a lesson. Sometimes the uniqueness in what you do is not necessarily in the information because, you know, I I'm open in the fir- very first page of the book. I say, I did not invent most of these strategies. Yes. I created the framework and I created a unique way of uh, putting these things and planning them. But I didn't invent direct response marketing. I didn't invent copywriting or headlines or any of the things that we use. But I definitely put a new spin on it and I, I created a bit of a breakthrough in the marketing planning process. So... Uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about USPs or unique selling propositions, they think that you've got to reinvent the wheel, right? But you don't. You just Sometimes it's just a matter of packaging it differently or having a bit of a different spin on it uh, because really there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, you know, most things have been invented that have been invented. And, you know, unless you're Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, you're probably not going to come up with anything completely and radically new, right? So so you, you very often when we talk about unique selling proposition, it's about just doing a new take on something, a slight different way of packaging it, a slight different way of looking at it, and that can make all the difference.
0: What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years?
2: I think the thing that is not well understood uh, by marketers is that they need to become content creators. They need to become voices of value. So uh, back in the past, Uh, You know, you created an average product and you, or you had an average service and you, maybe you put an ad in the yellow pages and your marketing was done for the year, right? So, uh, or maybe you bought some media, you bought billboards, you bought TV advertising and that sort of thing. And uh, that's what we mentioned earlier in the episode. So uh, that's putting lipstick on a pig, right? And that worked in the past because, you know, you could interrupt people and if you interrupted enough people, you'd sell enough product. But uh, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, you need to understand that you need to become a voice of value. And people who are a voice of value create content, and they're prolific creators of content. So uh, anyone who uh, anyone who wants to be an authority, um, I would be seriously thinking about, okay, what are you doing about a book? Uh, I mean, literally in the name authority is author, right? So I would be thinking about how do I create a book? And how do I come up with a concept? So, you know, I'm not the only one to come up with a concept in a book. For example, if you think of GTD, getting things done, or if you think of the e-myth, the, these are good concepts packaged up in a book and then rolled out in, in other media. So how do you become a voice of value in your target market? You know, and and then once you're a voice of value, how do you start – uh, creating raving fans and creating content for those raving fans. So uh, people people are dying to consume high quality content, you know, and th- there's just so much garbage out there that you will stand out <laughs> by a mile if you create something that's very, very high quality, that, that's content that people want, that's things that are shareable. What does are that make t-
0: sense? It does. What are the top uh, three best resources you would recommend uh, listeners?
2: So of course, uh, I'd recommend my book. <laughs> I was uh, I was a keynote speaker at an event uh, recently, and I uh, I held up a copy of my book and I said, "This is the best book on marketing I've ever read." And um, <laughs> you know, it sounds like bra- bragging, but um, I, I really wrote this book because uh, there was just so much garbage in the marketing area uh, on on how to get your your message out there and all of this sort of stuff. And a lot of it was written by uh, professors, by, uh, you know, doctors and things like that. And, you know, it's people who generally have never run ac- actually run a business outside of academia. So so I'd recommend my book as a start- starting point. I know it sounds, uh, you know, selfish or whatever, but I, I truly believe it, it delivers a lot of value. Um, uh, in terms of software and podcasts and things like that, I think uh, absolutely critical is to have a very, very good CRM. So a CRM system where uh, it can help you uh, tag and segment clients. And we, we haven't really talked about segmentation, but that is absolutely critical. So it's where you can uh, tag someone with an interest or a demographic or a geographic and be very, very relevant to them. So, so Louis, you're, you're an island. And so if uh, if I had a, a product that was very geographic, I would tag you in my CRM as being in Ireland. Um, I might tag you as being a podcast creator. I might tag you as being a marketer. And then when I'm sending a message to someone in Ireland who is a marketer, uh, you would get a very, very relevant message rather than a message that was just uh, very, very general.
0: Right. So those are the, the top three resources. Excuse You mentioned yeah, I think, I, I, CRM, your book. Do you have I any that, no, another
2: think, one? I think I think they were two. Um, and it, it, if I was uh, if I was thinking of a uh, a third one, it would be uh, getting help. So and because a lot of entrepreneurs try to do everything themselves, and uh, business is a team sport. And I've never seen anyone make big breakthroughs in their income who haven't built a team. Uh, so you need to have a team. Uh, and uh, an example is my book right so you you think i just wrote this book and it came about by magic and ended up on the amazon store no i had literally a team i had a researcher I had a typesetter. I had a. Uh, I had um, an editor. Actually, I had multiple editors. Uh, I had also uh, advisors who were telling me, you know, uh, the best way to uh, do SEO on the Amazon Web Store. So uh, I literally had a team. Now, I wrote this book in a very, very short, compressed time frame, uh, and it literally, actually, I wrote it in about thirty to forty days. I had a. Ve- I nearly died doing it. I don't recommend doing it that way. <laughs> My next books are going to be written over a longer time frame, but um. Uh- The point I'm trying to make is I had a team to do – this was a product launch, and I treated it like like that. I didn't treat it like literature or, you know, like a lot of people think that – a lot of authors think they're above marketing. You know, they they think, you know, uh, that's kind of shady, sleazy. I'm here to write literature, and then they never sell any books. So uh, for me, I treated this like a product launch. So, And with a product launch, I I had a team. And uh, that's probably the third resource that I would recommend – uh, for, for your listeners, is, you know, if you're doing trying to do this alone, you're absolutely going to have a very uh, tight cap on your income because you've only got 24 hours in a day. And the good news is you can buy hours uh, by hiring people. So that makes a massive difference in your scalability.
0: Where can listeners connect with you and contact you? Sure. So uh, a good
2: starting point would be uh, on, on Amazon. If you look up either my name, Alan Dibb, or the one-page marketing plan, or uh, if you'd like to get on my mailing list, then please visit successwise.com and then uh, just join in the conversation. So uh, we have a good time. We talk about marketing. We talk about business, and we talk about systems, and, and we have a lot of fun. We kick goals, and, and we, we get things done.
0: Right, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to interview you today. Thank you so much for going through this exercise with me.
2: Thanks, Louis. Pleasure to be on the show.
0: That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com and this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks I would say I'll inform you of guests in advance I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker so thank you so much once again and au revoir